Finish this statement with your mind, just in your thoughts. Um, and don't put the other screen up yet, Grayson, but I want everybody to first hear this before I, I sort of give you the conclusion. But no other concern, finish the statement, with Christians, no other concern commands more interest or arouses more anxiety than... What do you guys think that is? What is that for you? What might that be for you? With Christians, no other concern commands more interest or arouses more anxiety than Beast of a theologian J.I. Packer says, no other concern commands more interest or arouses more anxiety nowadays than discovering the will of God. Than discovering the will of God for our lives. I'd say that this is the root, um, not only just for Christians, but this is for unchristians as well, for those who might be here who are irreligious. What the future may hold for me or wanting to not make bad decisions in this life, I mean, we all desire to make sure that we are living a life that is good and is right. We all desire, Christian or not, to be on a path that is good, or the right path. Think of what theologian Doc Brown says at the end of Back to the Future. This is what he says. Do you guys remember? He like sums up the entire movie beautifully and he says this. The future is what you make it. So what does he say? So make it a good one. The future is what you make it. So make it a good one. The desire to make it a good one transcends race and privilege and class and gender and status and faith. But I will say this. I would say whatever level of concern that is for our world, I would say triple it for Angelinos. Triple it for Angelinos. Simply, we are ferocious planners. We are ferocious planners. We make our future. I know who I'm having coffee with on June 18th, 2021. Like, I just know who it's going to be. We are planners. Our calendars are these, these gatekeepers, and our phones are these key masters. Now, if you're in L.A., you are probably, for the most part, the type of person that plans, that purposes, that progresses, that pushes, that pulls. Most of us being like freight trains. It's rare to not meet a person in L.A. who doesn't have this personality or this drive that is unlike a freight train. There is one rail, there is one track, That is where we are going. And if you're here and you don't have a track, if you live in Los Angeles and you don't have a track, simply, Los Angeles is going to eat you for breakfast. While at the same time, this is the place where it's impossible to stay on the same track. L.A. tosses us around to and fro constantly. As a pastor, you have no idea the amount of conversations I have with people who are like, no, I moved here from Kansas to be an actor, to get the gold, to get the Oscar, or I moved here to, you know, get a Grammy or to be a techie and change the internet. And I talk to them like three months later, like, how's that, how's that Grammy coming? Or like, no, 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 I'm getting my teaching degree in physical education. Like, it's just like, oh, good, good for you. There is so much change. It's crazy. It's crazy because we have this juxtaposition in our midst. And I know we feel it, but we have this juxtaposition as Angelinos, where on one hand, every step is questionable. Like, oh, I hope this takes me somewhere. While at the other time, every other step is a confident pressing of self-determination. 
That is Angelinos. A, uh, I read a thriller horror book recently. It wasn't very good, but I did like the main character was talking about Los Angeles, and I wanted to quote this character in the story. This is them ripping on L.A. Let me read it to you. It says, I hate L.A. <laughs> okay. I hate L.A. Every day is actually three days. A, a, a freezing morning, a blistering day, and a cool night. You need a lot of clothes. And every day is the same day, which is why it's important to have a calendar. I see why people move here and wake up one day scratching their heads, wondering when they turn 40 or what year is it. There is a, an incredible amount of truth to this. In L.A., for us, our lives, things move so fast, it actually feels like it's three days. Like all of a sudden, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are just gone from our life. So if that's true, which it feels like it is, if that's true, determining what our future is or where our future will be or how our future will go is the peak of our thoughts. It's the peak of our processing constantly. I know it is for me a lot of the times. But let me ask this. L.A. planners, which we are, L.A. planners, what happens when God puts a penny on our railroad track? What happens when we get derailed? What happens when our freight train goes off the track? Today, Paul the Apostle, who we have been journeying with for a while now in the book of Acts, totally gets derailed. His plans are shuffled, his direction realigned, his future unsure. And I want us to see what happens to him and learn and apply as much as we can, starting in verse 6 of chapter 16. So if you're there, you can read along, it'll be on the screen. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Asia here being Western Turkey. So Paul and company are forbidden to go and to do what they want, where they want. Now, there is no indication as why. We have no idea why they can't go there, and we will never know why they can't go there. No indication as of why. Even that right there probably frustrates us, right? That right there is frustrating. It's like, you're not even going to tell them why? All right, so we're, you're with me. Okay, so we have no indication. Paul's halted. But this not only happens once, this happens twice. Look at verse 7. So Paul's like, all right, totally cool. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. This is what Christians love to call a closed door. A closed door. I think Christianity created that, right? Open doors and closed doors. Goodness gracious. This is Paul derailed. This is Paul's closed door. It would seem Paul is left to ask, after this happening twice, it would seem Paul is left to ask, okay then, God, what is your will? Cool, God, what do you want? What is your will? If not this, if not there, then what? Now, before we seek to understand or discover God's will, I believe we need a very simple and direct understanding of three unmovable pieces when it comes to God's will. Now, I'm going to go over these very quickly if you want to write them down. And I've shared these before, but they are worth repeating. 
These are three unmovable bases, three understandings that we need if we're ever going to approach a topic in God's will. Sound good? You guys are so excited today. Can you please think I'm funny for the board? Can we act like we love church here? Goodness. All right. Here it is. The first. Bill, I heard you laugh, buddy. Gosh, I miss you. The first. There is God's will of decree. Guess what? I'm going to make them all D's because this is church, y'all. We alliterate things here. First is God's will of decree. This is Psalm 139 style. Basically, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. This will of decree basically being God knows all. God knows everything and providentially directs from there. That's the first will. The second will of God that we need to understand is God's will of desire. It's God's will of desire. This will being shorthand for obedience to God's command. God would desire us to pray. God would desire us to love our enemies. God would desire us to serve one another, to be engaged in participating in a local church. But this will, God's will of desire, can be ignored. It can be um, disobeyed. Okay? Now, as of right now, I'm assuming that everybody's probably cool with this list, right? Everybody's like, cool, got it. That, that, that totally makes sense. But where is the will that talks about, should I do this? Should I marry her? Should I break up with him? Should I retire now? Should I end this, date this, marry the blah, blah, whatever? Where is that will? That will is called the will of direction. Will of direction. This is the one everybody wants to know about. The other two, they're like, no, 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 no. This is the one everybody wants to know about. I'm assuming that there are people here right now dying to know the will of direction for their lives. Dying to know it for their lives. Now, with that, here's what's crazy about the Bible or Christ's teachings on God's will. It's deceptively simple. Deceptively simple. So simple that the majority of Christians or people believe there's got to be more to it. It's like an Apple product. Apple products are so simple that you think they're missing a piece or something or something along those lines. It's so simple we think there's something wrong with it. That is God's will. So, so much so, everybody wants actually what we're about to read right now, and that's Paul's experience. Look at this. We want divine supernatural experiences. Look at verse 8. So passing by um, Mysia, they went down to Troas. And just so we get this, Paul is so sure of this closed door, Paul is so sure of it, that he makes a trek to Troas. Now that may sound like, okay, cool, he went from like Culver to Playa. No, 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 no. This is a 400-mile journey on foot. That's how sure he is of this closed door. This is a 400-mile journey on foot. So I, that blows my mind. I don't even want to walk the Costco parking lot, right? Who wants to do that? You need to bring a flare gun on that walk. But here, this is no small decision for Paul. And look what happened in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there 
urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, pay close attention to that, Luke is now part of the party, Luke is going with them, he's part of the company. So we sought to go down into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is what's known as the Macedonia call. To be honest, if we read this type of stuff, and we are struggling or trying to discover God's will for our life, we read this type of stuff and go, that would be nice. A vision, that would be great. We want this, right? To help with our derailed plans? I mean, lucky Paul, I'm jealous. Aren't you? Cool, nobody is. I'm the only one jealous. Here's the thing. Here's the thing we have to get. These supernatural derailments are not the norm. They are not the norm of the Christian life. When reading Acts, you have to read it understanding there are decades and years happening these things. It seems like amazing things were happening every other day. Vision, dreams, something amazing, angels. That's not what was happening. This is not the norm. Many Christians, here's what's crazy. Many Christians insist, and maybe you know some of them, they think that if God's desire to relate to us or for us to know him or communicate to him or for us to have a conversation with him or whatever you might say has to be in a deep, personal, intimate way. If that's what's supposed to happen, then surely he must have a direct revelation. If God desires to know us personally and, and, and very, very intimately, then God must speak to us like he spoke to Paul, visions and dreams. That's what a lot of people think. And if we do not have such experiences, then they believe well, then I'm doing something wrong. Then they start to think, no, then I, I have lesser than faith if I don't have this type of stuff in my life. Friends, that could not be further from the truth. That could not be further from the truth. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe, as a pastor of this church and as a Christian, that God does talk to us personally and intimately. So I'm not denying providence and I'm not denying circumstances, and I'm not denying visions or, or you know, dreams. But please, 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 please hear me. Please forever know that the only authoritative, certain truth we have regarding God's will comes through the very Bibles that you are holding. I, I will, probably one of the most challenging times that I've had with people who were, making God's word an obstacle was with visions. I was on a trip with them, and it was very, very challenging because I was the leader over this trip, and this particular young lady kept having visions of clock towers that were being struck by lightning and certain things here and there and, and leaves that had water in them, and she needed to go find these leaves and these clock towers. And what was happening was it was direct correlation of what we needed to do while we were there, it did not make any sense in Scripture what she was trying to pull at. And so as we are trying to cipher and understand in community, she abandoned all efforts and completely ditched us and went off by herself. That is a small, somewhat silly example to say, though, that her visions became ultimate truth. Her dreams superseded anything of authority and certain truth that we have in Scripture. Scripture, 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 the very Bibles you are holding is the authoritative certain truth we have. And any vision needs to be parallel compared to what God or the Spirit of God would be saying in the Bible. 
This is why we stress our discipleship groups so, so, so heavily here. So heavily. We will not grow or have certain direction in our life apart from the Bible. Apart from the Bible being studied in community. Again, if you're a Christian, you consider yourself a part of this church and not a part of a discipleship group, we're going to encourage you and press you and will not stop bothering you about it because we believe the Spirit of God has more for you and how safe and wonderful these are for your life. Now, to those who are continually seeking out visions, again, maybe you know some of them, who are continually seeking out visions, I believe, I believe, it could probably be for two reasons. Two reasons. I'm just going to present two reasons. For those who are seeking out visions, could it possibly be because they're not down with the revelation that has already been given? Because it doesn't line up with what they want. No, no, no. I want to go seek this person. I'm going to go seek this person because this is not really, I want to be able to do something else. Could that be you today? I was thinking, I I remember this, it's a stupid illustration, but my, my son and I were walking through Toys R Us um, we, we don't have any money to do that a lot, but we love to take them and tease them and walk up down the halls and walk out with buying anything, and it's great. But what we do is, when my son found this magic eight ball, and he's like, what is this? And I'm like, this is crazy. And I was showing him, and you ask a question. So my son grabbed me, and he's like, cool. He goes, will I get $100 tomorrow? And he shook it. He thinks $100 is a lot. And I'm like, oh, poor silly boy. So he's like, will I get $100 tomorrow? And the little triangle thing came back and said, doubt it. And he's like, will I get $100 tomorrow? Not likely. Will I get $100 tomorrow? And finally, he shook it, shook it until the triangle thing said, yes, indeed. And he's like, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I'm going to be loaded. He did not get the revelation he wanted, so he kept seeking it out and shaking the magic eight ball until he got what he wanted. People will shake God's word any way they possibly can until they get what they want. Again, the importance of opening the Bible with one another, with other people who have the Holy Spirit, the power and presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of them, helping them. It's very, very, very important. Second, they believe that the Bible is inadequate. For those who are constantly seeking out visions and dreams, It might be because they believe the Bible is inadequate for their present lives and that some additional revelation is needed. If we are seeking these out, and please notice, Paul did not. Paul did not like, hey guys, I'm going to go take a walk walk on the dock and I'm just going to be like, God, give me something. He didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. If we are seeking these out, we are seeking out a type of revelation that God chooses to not normally employ. For this instance, God has a plan, for this very one in Acts 16, God has a plan so much bigger than Paul's, he has to derail him. Get this for those who want to know. This is very beautiful and exciting. See, up to that point in history, the good news of Jesus has only been limited to Asia, which would have been Turkey. Remember, Paul and Barnabas hit all sorts of places on their first missionary journey. This is their second missionary journey. And many historians, even secular historians, credit Paul's heeding to the Macedonian call with the spread of Christianity into Europe and the Western world. What's happening here are people like, Christianity came here because Paul was sent to Troas, because Paul had two closed doors in his life. Paul started many Many churches in Macedonian cities. Local plants like this. Listen, listen to these cities. Philippi, Thessalonica, 
and corn. I mean, it's like their orchard group or something. That's for you guys. Love you guys. That's for you guys. These churches were beyond crucial for the growth of Christianity. And five of the New Testament epistles were written to three of these churches in those cities. Clearly, God had a certain direction for that moment and that time. And obviously, just so you know, we can tell, God loves to start churches, to establish churches. If you've been around for a while, you know that's a huge cause of ours. But again, just so we have it drilled in our noodle, Paul's derailment here is rare. It's rare. Okay? So friends, this lesson pertaining to God's will that I'd love for us to get is to not look for visions and supernatural promptings to determine God's will. That's not what I'm saying. The lesson and application I'd like for us to get today is our plans must always be surrendered. Our plans must always be abandoned, even if they're good ones. Even if they're good ones. Even if they're holy ones. Even if they're the right ones. Paul was derailed from wanting to tell other people about Jesus. Right? That's beautiful. And God has the audacity to derail him? Yeah, God derails him. Now, if I'm paying attention to the conversations I'm having, having with people in our community, or people just in the city, and if I'm paying attention to these challenging conversations, this understanding right here that we're about to get into is hard to rectify in our hearts and in their thoughts. If it's good, then God pass it through. If it's good, God just pass it through. If God, if what I want to do is good, just make it happen. To take this thought far enough is to cross the line means we you know, go past barbed wire fence into dangerous territory. Here's what I mean. And I want famous German pastor and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer to fill us in. That's for you, Huber. Here it is. This is what Bonhoeffer says. Wherever man attacks the concrete word of God with the weapon of a principle or an idea of God, there he has become the Lord of God. If Paul would have fought back on God or pushed his way through or said, I want to go talk to people about Jesus and argued, he would have been acting as the Lord of God. Basically, it's, God, why can't we spread the gospel to people in Asia? God, why wouldn't you allow this? God, why can't you give this to me? God, why can't I go there, marry her, have children, sell my business, create a business? I believe for those who live that understanding or, or practice that, I believe the best word to describe this is presumption. Presumption. This is really the basement or the core or the soul of sin, right? When we make it our reality, or we, make, we base, this, base our reality, our decisions, our God on what is not fully known or understood, that is presumption. That is us saying, I am the Lord of God. And again, the Bible calls that sin. Think about this. I was just, I just talked about this with, you know, 150, 200 high schoolers. I talked about what it meant for them to understand that all their little sins that they flirt with are pushed to the side or what they do in the shadows. What I was trying to get them to see that this is not something that is just 
minuscule or small or insignificant. I want us to see, as we're seeing here with this presumption, is that that is becoming or playing God. I'm reminded, I think that from the beginning of existence, that has been man or it has been the devil playing God and placing our priorities, our plans over God's priorities. Again, that makes man God. We decide and we determine what is favorable. We'll decide what is good. We'll plan who to marry. We'll plan who to have sex with. We'll plan how to spend our time. We'll decide how to spend our money. And when man plays God, that is an obvious rift with the one true God. I love this Elizabeth Elliot quote, author, She's an incredible woman of God, and I just think this quote is so powerful. And I think it does more than just make one point. It makes multiple. So I hope you pay attention as I read this, and I think this is going to cast a lot of light on this. Elizabeth said, the more we pay for advice, and she's talking about seeking out God's will, the more we pay for advice, the more we're likely to listen to it. Advice which is from a friend is free. We may take it or leave it. Advice from a consultant, which we've paid for personally, we're more likely to accept, but it's still our choice. We can take it or leave it. But the guidance of God is different. First of all, we do not come to God asking for advice, but for God's will, and that is not optional. And God's fee is the highest one of all. It costs everything. To ask for the guidance of God requires abandonment. We no longer say, if I trust you, you'll give me such and such. Presumption, right? Presumption. Instead, we say, and get this, I trust you. Give me or withhold from me. Whatever you choose. From this moment on, I will obey what you tell me, whether I understand it or not, and I will accept anything you send me. God's will does not make a lick of sense or God's discovery of God's will does not make a lick of sense to anyone unless their heart ruthlessly trusts God. I've spoken with many times and many people in this room who struggle with doubt that, that, with the goodness of God. They struggle with the presence of God. They doubt the priorities of God. And you too, maybe you've expressed at times and probably agree that we would love to be in a spot that Paul is, spiritually and mentally. I, I would love just to be respond as simply as Paul did, to have that sort of ruthless trust. I mean, in all honesty, it just shows us it's inspiring. It's just a total release to every plan and purpose that we have. And again, we're Angelinos. We're planners. Elizabeth, is Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot is absolutely right. It will cost everything. It costs everything everything. Our decisions and our plans can not be abandoned unless there's an understanding that Jesus deserves our trust. If we cannot trust Jesus on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, we will be crushed. Our plans will be crushed. Jesus wants to release you from the cares of tomorrow, the anxiety of tomorrow, by reminding you of his presence in this moment. To understand God's will is to perhaps, I would probably recommend maybe a better question than, God, what do you want me to do tomorrow? To really understand God's will, I think a better question would be to ask, God, whatever you, God, what do you require of me now? 
What do you require of me in this moment, today? That's a much better question to ask. The needing of, to know of, should I study environmental science or social science, or should we stay, or should we go? Should I live in Santa Monica or Fresno? Well, we know that answer. <laughs> Santa Monica. It's always Santa Monica. That is from the word of the Lord, right? That, right? Joking, you two. Jerry, Jerry Sitzer in his incredible book in the Will of God says this. He says this. God is surprisingly flexible about the future because he is supreme, uh, supremely inflexible in the present. One more time. God is thus surprisingly flexible about the future because he is supremely inflexible in the present. I believe if we go throughout our decisions and our circumstances and our daily life, holding on to the very simple words of Christ about what today holds and what tomorrow may or may not bring, we will be okay. Jesus pointed us to what true north is, and it's just a few simple words. True north for the believer is simply this, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Tonight can't be exhaustive at all about the will of God, nor are we trying to be, but I do want to encourage my brothers and sisters, my friends here, that it is deceptively simple, yet at the same time it's going to cost you everything to live this out. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. Christ's teachings about the will of God, all it does is it places priorities over plans. It places priorities over plans. Are there plans right now that you have for tomorrow that are taking place over God's priorities within your life? Only you know that. If you can discover that in this moment, I would encourage you tonight at some point to go to the people on that wall and on the people on that wall who are wearing yellow lanyards. They want to pray over you and intercede for you. If you're struggling going, I can't release or abandon this. Will you tonight let us pray for you? Will you let us pray for you? The teaching of Christ, not only just this priority over plans. It's the priority of a person over plans. The kingdom of Christ is just that. I don't want to confuse anybody. The kingdom of Christ is just that. It's the understanding of life with Christ as king. How would we make decisions knowing that Christ is on the throne? We are to make decisions in light of that everything else will be added unto you. To make sure our now is about Christ. To make sure our now is about Christ reigning before our own. I think one of the most beautiful ways that we make this real each and every week is by communion. If you're a Christian and you haven't taken communion in a while, tonight is the night. This is a proclamation that we make each and every week. Each and every week. We walk up here and we don't just have like a little mid-church snack. Mm, this is delicious. That's what it's not what it's about. Every time we leave our seats from where we're standing, we come up here and we grab communion. And we are proclaiming to one another and we're proclaiming to the world and we're proclaiming to our plans and our decisions that Christ is Lord of all. Please, do never, please never take communion the same way again where you just think it's like this is something we have to do. This is something that is transformative for our decisions, our plans, and our priorities. Communion is so unbelievably important to us because what it does is it reorients us every single time. And then lastly, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to worship. We're going to worship our faces off. 
We're going to worship or we're going to sing. When I was sitting at that camp this weekend, I had this unbelievable, unbelievable revelation. I'm sitting behind 150, 200 kids, and they're singing to one another. They're singing to one another. You know what? If you are struggling to truly trust Christ and you are doubting Christ in your decisions or your commitments, if you're in that spot, one of the greatest cures that we see from the book of Psalms is you sing to one another. Even if we can't believe these truths, we are preaching them, preaching them constantly and out loud, and we are preaching them to one another. Though you may not believe this, I believe this, and we're going to sing it, and we're going to sing it together. Tonight, right now, I don't know what you're holding. I don't know where you're going. I don't know what your plans are, but I would beckon you, beckon you. If we cannot trust Christ in this moment, How dare we think we can trust Christ in three weeks, three months, or three years? May it start now in this moment. May we ruthlessly trust Christ now in this moment. Will will we make him a priority now in this moment over any plan we could possibly have? Amen? Can I pray for you?